Hello and welcome back to All My Darlings, where we are reading Marguerite Young's Angel in the Forest. We're on page 258, Exodus from New Harmony. Well, that was quick. Um, and we're almost done with the book. Let's see, we're on 258, and we've got about 80 pages left. A little bit less than that, 70 to 80. Life and its negation seemed inexorably bound together an essential condition of existence, as if happiness delivers us only from the one want to another an empty longing. Science of society, even though unrealized, had seemed more oppressive than God's order. The ebb and flow of the human heart, the secret life, the longing, the suffering. In God's order there were problems which could not be solved by the application of human reason, and God's order had persisted, even in rational new harmony, where there were many cries unheard, many questions unanswered, many differences between experience and logic of an argument. Though one night had skipped too many pages in the book of nature, it was generally felt, and autumn the leaves fell. Soul was tired of machineries, tired of false promises. Reenacted in human nature forever, it was felt, would be the war of bodiless angels, a pathology more beautiful than fact. God was ever a greater reality than man. God, the great father, bound self to self, assured a continuity of events from the beginning to the end, made the future to include the past, made it impossible that anything be lost or forgotten. He respected the individual. He led him not to the chill periphery of things where color loses its color. Thus, though a man might reach the age of eighty years and had shed his skin many times, so that there was nothing of him which was, he was still an identity indestructible. For the sake of utopia, that cold abstraction, who would destroy the mind, the self, the soul, and memory? Hello, you making biscuits, baby? You come in here and make some biscuits. Yes, but why are you screaming? <laughs> Lay down. <laughs> Perhaps even the drunken consciousness was as valid an expression of a cosmos as blind reason. So much happening without reason, as when the fairest were cut off in the flower of their youth and the good died young. Without God to bind together the lost fragments, each mind like an ice flow, each with its burning phoenix, which what meaning had life at all? It was a phantasmagoria. Not science, but God could bridge the gulf between this world and the next. Meanwhile, as emotion seemed about to take the place of reason, a quarrel, long brooding, arose between Robert Owen and William McClure. The great communistic venture was doomed to close ignominiously. With a dispute over private property between the two directors of a movement which had been abolished, which would have abolished private property ownership forever. William McClure, it may be remembered, had limited his investment in Utopia to $10,000, the price of an empty convent or an Indian village. William McClure was no savior of society. Convinced that Robert Owen's extravagance and disparagement of money had led him to ignore these boundaries on high finance, he put up bulletins at the tavern and other public places to announce his divorce from Robert Owen and the science of society. Accordingly, said William McClure, would not pay off any debts contracted by said Robert Owen, or in any way be responsible for any transactions said Robert Owen might do or attempt to do in said William McClure's name. The language was legalistic, legalistic, with not even so much as a swan song for the cubes of human populace, the scales of character and virtue, the truth which had faded at the moment of its realization, the permanent closing of accounts with a higher reality than finance. All William McClure was looking out for was his own ample pocketbook, 
Robert Owen replied by means of other bulletins to what he termed this extraordinary advertisement that the partnership between himself and William McClure was in full force, that he would pay all debts contracted by William McClure in his name. He hoped to come to a reconciliation of their differences, so vast had been their agreement on a program to rehabilitate the human race. William McClure could not say that who stole his pocketbook stole trash. He was not to be deceived by the withered flowers of an arid rhetoric. He called Posey County's hard-riding sheriff. Either Robert Owen must produce that greatest of all miracles, cash, or be thrown into the Mount Vernon jail. William McClure was sick and tired of the whole fantasy he had seen in operation. If Robert Owen imagined that his nose was made of glass, that was his business, not William McClure's. A rational society at this date was as realizable as centaurs and the Lake of Sharon. Though they had denied revealed religion, they had promised the impossible, such as a three-hour working day, such as that saints shall run after their heads when they are decapitated. William McClure did not propose to lose his head. He objected to the whole prodigious constellation under his ex-partner's hat, no greater opium-eater than Robert Owen, imagining that he could drag the whole of humanity up Jacob's ladder. The sheriff was inclined, of course, to favor William McClure's views. Oh, how he would enjoy clapping this rabble-rouser into a rectangular-shaped jail as cellmate to horse thieves, chicken thieves, and wife-beaters, and there let him organize such scattered shimmers into a science of society. If he could, let them all dangle by one noose from a sour apple tree. Unfortunately, however, William McClure, even the sheriff had to admit, was the one in default. The owner of many an empty convent owed to the ex-cotton lord and bankrupt utopist the sum of $5,000. Oh, the pity of it all. The creator of a new society cannot create ex nihilo out of the empty air. What, baby? Just make your biscuits. Yet to many this quarrel over finance had seemed like a post-mortem dissection performed on the body of the new social order and non-experiment to resurrect Lazarus. Let the dead bury the dead, was William Taylor's merry comment as he handed out free drinks to everybody. Poor, disparaged human nature. As the curtain was about to go down on this little drama, on his little drama, Robert Owen declared that man was not the subject of praise or blame. What he had held to be true in the beginning, he held to be true in the end. Still, in spite of all that had happened, there must be disentangled from this great mesh of particulars certain fundamental threads or principles by which man could best be guided to the attainment of a meaningful happiness. That happiness would be neither an eternal space nor a whiskey. Still, in spite of all that had happened, he believed man's true goal to be not lonely grandeur, but cooperation, an order excluding the incomprehensible part of self, that bee which is thought to hum after its existence has terminated. Else Hamlet himself were, were the character of all mankind and every man suffering more than he deserved. For too long, obscurities have been allowed to distort or blot out man's true nature. Wars have been fought, whole nations emasculated, merely for the sake of a ghost in clanking armor, a hallucination. Away with fantastic prophecies extracted from the flight of birds, wands, words, from which every hope could be de derived. Superstitions, miraculous cure, spectacle of Trojan horse, expansion at any cost. The old wranglings among gods and despots, for if once these were dispelled, then men, man would emerge as a being to whom all things are possible. Away with the claptrap and up with the flag of a united labor. How many, through wounded pride, love of personal power, thwarted ambition, and other unworthy emotions, would combine to blow athwart, if they could, the course of a rational labor. Passivity under such a mastery would lead to total death, both of the individual and society. 
To avoid that disaster to the world, this community had been organized. It was a dire necessity that now, before the coming struggle of powers and mighty deadlock, a science of human nature should be revolved should be should be evolved out of man's reasoning nature that people the great mass of mankind should no longer expect a higher power to bend the lightning or translate them upward to a golden sphere beyond the region of air while the real problems persisted as old as the hills what happened to this world would never be the result of a disembodied spiritual beings acting upon it from afar but the consequence of the composition of human nature and its institutions even the red-blooded pioneer was become, as a result of nothing mysterious, a mystic albino with bleached silk hair, the eyes of a partridge, the wings of a heron, a progress exactly negative, the attainment of purveyors and illusion whiskey. Time and again man had been brought to the brink of nothingness with a Bible in one hand and a whiskey bottle in the other. Time and again the workers had been deceived by pure fictions, the wild dreams of the conservatives posing as the apostles of a future world. They had expounded doctrines repellent to common sense in order to keep the people both baffled and enslaved. Even on the sacred heights of speculation, the exploiting landowners and manufacturers have been true to their own interests. They had spoken in strange tongues. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledges, and though I have all faith so that I could remove, ma remove mountains and have not charity, I am as nothing." The despotic governments must bear responsibility for the debacles in which they come to end. On a comparatively peaceful Sunday in May 1827, when all the hedges were whitened by a snow of flowers, Robert Owen stood once more in Father Rapp's old pulpit to deliver his farewell address to the assembled citizens of New Harmony. It was a farewell which promised, however, his coming again. A second year of community enterprise had just expired. The singularly constituted mass had contained materials out of which he had hoped that a united community might be founded and made permanent on earth. Throughout all the universe, among the many permutations through which matter had passed, only man had attained to the power of reason so far as was known. The educators in New Harmony schools had fallen short, they had withdrawn their pupils into separate cliques, had educated them in different habits, dispositions, and feelings, they had allowed themselves to be guided by the old peacock motivations, pride and vanity. They objected to equality as they had objected to reason. Thus that great object of new harmony, the science of society, had not been attained. The obstacle, the stumbling stone in the way of the mechanic was the educator. What, my baby boy, what do you want, my darling? What you want, baby? What you want? What you want? What you want? Yep, what you want? And you just want to be petted? You want attention? Come here. You want attention, baby boy? Yes. Oh, your baby's so cute. Yes. I don't know what you want other than attention. Uh, baby don't want, honey. Oh, shoot. Um, yes, that was my bookmark. <laughs> I don't know what you want, my baby. My darling. There. Okay, I picked you up. Now what? Now what you gonna do? Besides purr.
Robert Owen observed the most subtle processes of man's repression. He would employ in the world what he had learned in the world's theater. There were nations betrayed. There were nations betrayed each other. He would remember the betrayals among individuals in New Harmony. A complete reorganization of the world was necessary in order to lay the numerous ghosts of civil and holy wars. I don't know. I don't know what you want. You're just going to have to relax here, okay? Just relax. Um, there was a man in New Harmony who refused to carry his own shirts to the laundry. Thus he had become himself the symbol of exploitation, the despotic power, the unholy aspiration for supremacy. Seraph and Snake had dominated side by side with a shirt the working classes of the world for the sake of a shirt seraph and snake were first erected such powers were the true enemy of life they sprang from the same low mental level the conspiracy of priests politician and businessmen to present a united threat against those poor washerwomen who had not the shirts on their backs the workers of the world capitalism had generated its protective religion the values to uphold a high finance such heaven as priest, politician, and cotton lord prescribed is always a circle drawn away from the real circle of mankind, a community of gilded dragonflies, a community of grave digging, a grave digger spiders. Baby doll, what? You are purring. Yes, you are. Listen to you just purr, 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 purr. I am paying attention to you. I am petting you. <laughs> Why do you look like this isn't what you want? Hmm? Okay, well, I'm going to put you down because I don't know. I don't know what to do. Go on. Go on. The most trying period in New Harmony, Robert Owen said, was now past. It had been at its best no non-rational operation, but ghostly, no ghostly promenade between two stars, not an intrinsic incoherence, but an attempt at social reconstruction on the principles of an eternal truth. They had witnessed many steps for the improvement of man's condition. Those who had elected to remain in New Harmony might accomplish much for the advancement of the human race. New Harmony, although not itself a community in the strict sense, was surrounded by communities. Applications were being received every day from people far and wide who had heard of this golden rose, the science of society. There was a great difference between New Harmony and its beginning and New Harmony now. In the beginning, they had been strangers to each other's characters, habits, sentiments, and very generally names. Now, however, as the science society had got its foothold, they had acquired similar views and similar wants. Since those persons had removed from New Harmony who had been disposed to do so, the remainder of the population were gradually taking the situations best suited to their inclinations and former habits. The saddler was become a saddler, and the wheelwright was become a wheelwright. The baker was become a baker, and the carpenter was become a carpenter. The lands around New Harmony had been put into a good state of cultivation and were well fenced. This territory exceeded anything Robert Owen had ever seen in Europe and America, both in its natural situation and the immense variety of its productions. The rich land intermixed with islands, woods, rivers, and hills in a beautiful proportion to each other 
presents from our high ground a prospect which highly gratifies every intelligent stranger. The bad reports which had gone out might serve to keep New Harmony from being overwhelmed by numbers. It was, in fact, a beautiful season this month of May, when the butterfly creeps out of its oval cell like the spirit of man from its dark wrappings. Far from being discouraged, Robert Owen. Okay, well, come here. Oh, 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 okay. All right. No, you cannot play with my thing. Nope, nope, nope. Okay. There you go. Oh, somebody's coming to... I'm going to have to finish this later. Thank you for listening. Bye.